Welcome, everybody. I'm Chris Miller, author of the number one best-selling book, Ready for Pre-Tirement, Three Secrets for Safe Money and a Fabulous Future. I'm so honored to be the host of this show called Ready, Set, Retire. Do you lay awake at night wondering if you have enough money to pay the bills, let alone retire? In this show, your vision will be transformed, and I will show you how to have safe money and a fabulous future. I've counseled thousands of individuals, businesses, and families over the past 20-plus years, and I'm proud to say I've never lost $1 of my clients' money. I will share with you secrets I've learned over two decades that only the few rich have known about and that really have been around for centuries. You know, most Americans are not prepared for the golden years, let alone today. No matter what your financial status is, you can be prepared to enjoy your life and never run out of money. So my goal is to reach out to all kinds of experts so that I can share with you great information so you are ready for pre-retirement. Pre-retirement is plan retirement early so your money, your health, and your peace of mind is there when you need it. So today my special guest is Jim Skinner. He is the president of JMS Benefit Solutions LP, a benefit counseling and brokerage company and founder of Smart Patient Academy, a specialty communications training and enrollment company. Jim is the author of Smart Patient, Smart Money, the simple guide to becoming an educated, empowered, money-saving champion of the health care you deserve. He's also a cancer survivor with 18 years in the industry. Jim presents a unique blend of deep insurance expertise with practical patient experience in a humorous and entertaining entertaining way. Jim, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's really a pleasure. Wow, that's a, what a perfect time today is the first day of the I, the Affordable Care Act, I guess. This is the day. Welcome the day. to the the new paradigm. Right. <laughs> a new puzzle we can try to figure out. And you, you've had some amazing experience in the healthcare marketplace and so, you know, just to, just right from the top, what is going on with the healthcare marketplace and how is all of these new laws and changes going to impact the listeners? Well, it's a great question, so I'll try and demystify um and put into plain plain English what what's really going on here is there's there's really the biggest change in the insurance marketplace and in the healthcare marketplace that we've seen since 1964 so um although uh the healthcare reform law better known as Obamacare was passed in 2010 it wasn't until today that actually the full implementation of it starts. Uh, it's it's um, so it's it's starting with the exchanges, and the exchanges are meant to be marketplaces where people shop for insurance online, kind of like Travelocity or Amazon or something like that. So that's the concept behind it. But the problem they were trying to to solve was twofold. They're trying to solve the uninsured problem and the fact that rates are going up and up and they're out of control. So those are the two main problems they tried to uh, tackle. 
Um, so actually, um, whether or not, whatever happens with Obamacare, no one really knows because we're going off into uncharted territory here. Um, and there's a big race to define it as either a success or a failure. So your listeners really need to know what is relevant to me and what's relevant to you is that as a consumer, and all of us are consumers, um, is how do I approach the marketplace? And the way I would, I would think about it is I try and make this analogy. I call it situational awareness. Let's just say if you were driving a car for, in a foreign country on a curvy road at night in the rain, you would be very hyper-aware of your circumstances. You would think about um, options to get out of traffic. You would be very concerned about um, doing everything right. So that's the level of awareness you need to take into the new healthcare environment. And the reason is that there is a huge shift going on of cost and risk from either an employer to an employee or from the government to the individual. At the end of the day, you and I are looking at more out-of-pocket expenses and higher prices in most cases. So, so you're really going to have to be an astute consumer, and that's really what I'm trying to teach people to do is, is kind of – we've been trained for, Chris, I think for the last 20 years or so – to be very passive, right. and um, you know the word patient. It kind of um, people have this automatic uh, mental image of sitting and waiting, and waiting and waiting, and being a very patient, passive consumer. And we we've, we've kind of gone through the system, trained this way. Well, you now need to kind of shift gears and be an active consumer and start thinking in terms of how you approach the marketplace like you would approach it for buying electronics or buying a car. You know, I think a lot of your 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 listeners out there would think of themselves as kind of ninja consumers. Now, they do a lot of price shopping. They know the price of something before they buy it. Uh, they negotiate. And all of those same rules and tactics and mindset or what people need when they're going off into this kind of this new new paradigm that just launched today. Right, and it, it's so totally confusing that besides just the regular insurance with this with the Affordable Care Obamacare, how 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 does one start? How, where where are people going to? How do they figure this out? Well, the first thing you would need to ask yourself is, what market am I in? And it sounds like kind of a dumb question, but there's really two markets. And, well, I don't know. I'm sorry. Maybe four. Sorry. You're, you're in a group market. In other words, you're getting your insurance um, through an employer. So that's, you know, that you have one set of answers if you're getting your insurance as, through your employer. Right. You have another set of answers if you're you're just an individual consumer out there under age 65. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you're age 65 and up, there's not as much to worry about direct in terms of direct impact 
there's more indirect impact. The same with people on TRICARE or people who are currently on Medicaid. So those government programs, if you will, have much less impact on them than, say, under age 65, uh, that market, that commercial market. So once you know where you are in the, you know, where do I get my insurance, the next thing you would need to know is what kind of a healthcare consumer am I? And believe it or not, I, I know that you do a lot of financial planning, and I would assume that a lot of what you do is you help people figure out their risk profile when they're looking at risk. Wouldn't that be true? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So am I a conservative investor? Do I like a lot of risk? Am I somewhere in between? Where am right. I in the, the overall spectrum? Right. Well, you kind of need to know the same and go through the same process mentally with yourself and say, well, what kind of a healthcare consumer am I? The reason you want to do that is because you don't you want to buy the right amount of insurance that corresponds to your consumption pattern. So let me be really let me just kind of make it simple. I've just broken down like the healthcare consumer into three different categories. Uh the first one would be um kind of uh just your your generally healthy person um, they're going to the doctor maybe three times a year. This is this is the vast majority of the population fits into this category. The very healthy person, then there's the middle person, uh, middle of the road person, and then we're disaster man. So I'm disaster man. But let's start off with the first one. What's the profile of the the generally healthy person? He basically spends less than $500 per year out of his pocket goes to the doctor maybe three times a year. And bear in mind that almost every health plan out there now covers all your preventive care for free. No co-pays, um, no deductibles. It's really for free. So that means that you, there's no excuse not to go into the doctor. So you're really only going to the doctor, most this type of individual, for the flu, a sprained ankle, a sinus infection, those kinds of things. So that that particular person is one type of consumer, very healthy guy. The middle-of-the-road consumer is probably going to the doctor maybe three to four times a year. They're seeing specialists primarily, and they're spending anywhere from 1000 to $3,000 per year mostly on name-brand prescriptions. They're generally healthy folks, but they've got, they really need that, that prescription card copay. Okay, And then finally, there's the, the disaster man. That's Jim Skinner. That's the person you have on the other end of the line. That's myself and my family will pretty much max out a health plan, whatever plan we're on. So what's odd about this situation is, or counterintuitive, is that the disaster person and the really healthy person should probably be on exactly the same health plan. And... Those types of health plans are, are typically uh, a high deductible health plan. Let's just say a $2,500 deductible. And after that, the plan pays 100% of the bill of all of your outstanding bills. So really your exposure is limited for the healthy person, won't 
spend more than 500. The disaster person won't spend more than 2,500. And so those two folks kind of fit into that category. So that's that's really those are the cu- first couple of steps you need to know. Right. And so you know, you you talk about what a smart smart patient is supposed to look like and and what do they do specifically? You, you're try you know, you've got you know, you've divided it into all the different risks and and if you have, if you're employed and but you talk about the smart patient sure well the first thing i would say is this uh what i would classify as a smart patient and let's just kind of put some adjectives here and describe the the old patient and then the new patient the old patient is really kind of passive dependent maybe unaware isolated unconfident um the new patient I would consider he's active, independent, hyper aware, assertive, um and and is personally responsible for their own health. They really take ownership of their health. So that's really what the new system is going to require of patients. Whether we like it or not, we're we're moving into a new healthcare delivery marketplace. And so so anyway, those are kind of the qualities that you would need. But what does um, specifically a smart patient actually do? And I can give you a couple of examples of, of uh, what most folks would need to know. So um, well, I, I guess right off the bat, one of the first things that people do not realize is that doctors don't know the price of anything. So his job is basically to de- deliver the best outcome clinically, but it may not be at the best price. It's your job and my job as consumers to pay attention to this. So here's what that means in practical reality. You're in a doctor's office. The doctor, and this ha- this is, I'll speak from personal experience. Um, let's just say I'm on a plan with prescription copays, Okay. So the doctor orders Lipitor. He says, Jim, your your cholesterol is high. He orders Lipitor. I go along for a year, pay 35 bucks. Then I move to a different type of health plan, a consumer-driven health plan with a high deductible that has no prescription copays. Well, it's the first time I ever noticed that the drug that I was taking cost $120. I was only paying 35 because the insurance company was picking up the rest of the cost. Well, now I have an incentive to go shop. And as I go shop, I do my homework, I realize that there's a generic uh, called Simvastatin for Zocor, Zocor and Lipitor compete, and it costs $5.99. So had I actually done some homework which I wasn't doing when I was on my copay plan, um, I was forced to start doing some shopping. I actually saved money when I didn't have the copays. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yes. Totally so, right. so there's hundreds and hundreds of examples like that. Um, but there's a there's a couple of other things, Chris, that, that are shocking, really, that most consumers don't know is that 
Let's just say your doctor orders an MRI on your neck. You're having neck pain, and he orders an MRI. And uh, what you don't know is that that same MRI in the same zip code using the same network of doctors from the same insurance company have a price variance of 300 to 500%. Right. <laughs> yep. So if you're... If someone else, the only reason that I'm bringing this up is because the curtain is being pulled back by Obamacare and healthcare reform and all of the evolution of healthcare. The curtain on prices is being pulled back. And we're now not only seeing the prices, but we're now exposed to the prices personally. We don't have third parties picking up as much of the bill as we used to. So it starts to become more important to realize these pricing differentials. You may be able to get one maybe 2500 and the other the party C down the road same same zip code maybe right. a third of that $500. Right. That you're actually just saying, you know, people can shop just like they're shopping for, you know, buying a car or something. You can go and right? Yeah, they get better prices. I know exactly what you're talking about. I've done the same thing. It's amazing. But yeah, you got to be proactive and reach out, dig into it, find out. Yeah, you do. You actually, I think one of the first revelations is when people hear this for the first time, they don't know a couple of really key things. They don't know that the prices are different. They don't know that that doctors and hospitals negotiate prices because there's no sign that ever tells you, hey, we negotiate our prices down. Um, and so it's really it's really a different world out there, and that's really the, the main point of, of the Smart Patient Academy is trying to wake people up into, from a passive, uh, being passive consumers to being active consumers. That's great. So how's your experience as a patient in some pretty extreme circumstances shape the way you work the health insurance world and actually you've you've done your own, you know, proactive work with your medical challenge. Yeah, there's um I think probably the best example of of um you know waking up, finally waking up and turning the healthcare system and and into an advantage instead of being a victim of the healthcare system uh, occurred when I was. Uh, they found out I had a brain tumor. So, long story short, a uh, brain tumor was diagnosed. It's very close to my brain stem. There's two different physician communities with completely opposing. Um, strategies on how to get rid of the brain tumor. And it's almost like Republicans and Democrats. And the there was traditional brain surgeons who really essentially wanted to go in and dive into my brain and pull it out. And there was another group of surgeons who were gamma knife surgeons where they radiate it um, and kind of disable it in place, but they don't pull it out. So both parties were in complete disagreement on what to do. And I could never get a straight diagnosis. 
So because of my involvement and kind of how active I am in in developing this whole um, active patient, smart patient paradigm, I pushed the system very, very hard. And what I found out, and this is this is the, the discovery to a lot of folks out there may be interested in this, is that there are panels of doctors who will review cases as a group. Um, where and and you can get a group opinion out of uh, in my case I had a group of about 12 doctors to 14 doctors in San Antonio look at my brain tumor and in California I had around 22 doctors look at it both groups gave me the same opinion and that was to do gamma knife surgery versus if I talked to any of those doctors individually they would have been arguing like Republicans and Democrats about what to do. Right. So so then you got the clear, that gave you the clear readout, so you went with the gamma, or did you go alternative? or? Well, I went to the gamma knife way of doing it, um, and, then, and then after that, um, the gamma knife actually disabled my balance on my left side completely and they ended up um it it ended up giving me this vertigo extreme vertigo so a very long story short what ended up happening was after they had tried about four months to solve the vertigo problem with steroids and almost killing me the doctor said to me the surgeon the traditional surgeon said to me you know what um, we've had some reports that ginkgo biloba may actually help this problem, but based on our experience and our teaching in, in, in the medical profession, it shouldn't help at all. There's absolutely nothing in it that we know as to that, that would tell us it would actually help. But give it a try because you've got nothing to lose. Four days later, all the vertigo was completely gone. And... So that took me into kind of a deep dive into the alternative world of healthcare and how how to blend alternative medicine with traditional medicine. And that's a whole different topic. Yeah, I'd like to we'll have to have another show about that because I'm really totally convinced that you have to have a blend of both because I myself had a pituitary tumor and mm-hmm. went through acromegaly and you know, I had a choice of, made, you know, surgery, drugs, and being, you know, basically incapacitated for the rest of my life or doing alternative medicine and different modalities and combination of both with a whole lot of prayer. Thank God I was able to beat it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's a there's a really good combination that people can actually save a lot of money in health bills if they're proactive with what they eat and exercise and really obvious basic things. Yeah, it is. I think there's a lot of confusion out there about how to integrate the two. It's not only confusion, but but the traditional traditional medicine can be very hostile to the use of alternative medicine. And um in a, in a, in extreme cases like my cancer, they will they will tell you absolutely don't even drink an herbal tea. Um, much less get into any complementary alternative medicine. So in in very serious medical 
situ- life and death situations, it's sometimes the the uh, the traditional medical community will tell you you have to choose one or the other, um, which poses a bit of a dilemma, obviously. But for most folks that are not in that situation, you can blend the two nicely. And um, so the question is, when do you use alternative and when do right. you use traditional? Um, I guess I would kind of say that, you know, the, the alternative medicine is going to take a look at the entire person. The traditional medicine is going to take a look at very specific, super narrow problems. And they're, they're all about solving a specific problem irrespective of the the whole, if you will. So the analogy I like to make is that if you go in and you have your car, um, you know, with a broken, um, say, a broken window on your driver's side, they'll you'll go in and there'll be a guy who will fix that window, but he won't know anything about the motor that drives the window or he won't know anything about rear-view mirrors. It's a whole different person. So the traditional medicine community, to me, is very adept at solving problems that are extremely specific. When you get into more wellness, though, um, I think you're down the road of alternative medicine. They're almost parallel systems, actually. What do you mean by parallel? Parallel systems in the in the sense that I'm talking about economic systems. So the way an insurance company or the way a doctor uh, would look at it is where are the healthcare dollars going? And there's a there's a huge amount of healthcare dollars going into complementary and alternative medicine versus traditional medicine. And I think it's largely a reflection of the frustration with the traditional medicine paradigms the really restrictive paradigms. And so I'm, I think what you're finding now, especially in your neck of the woods out in California, I think you're finding a, a better blend of traditional and an alternative together under one roof. Right. It's accepted. And, the, you know, the only problem that I see with it in the sense of that it's not accessible to the average person because you're going to pay out of your pocket. Exactly. Most most of it's not going to be covered on your insurance. And um, although there are some creative things in California where they are getting, you know, allowing acupuncture and different alternative, some alternative programs. Well, the Institute for for Medicine, the um, the National Institute for the National Healthcare Institute, is actually. doing lots of studies about alternative medicine and validating outcomes with alternative medicine. So I think we're seeing a, um, like I said, a validation of what they're doing and the outcomes um, that is trickling into the traditional medicine community over time. So it will become, as that occurs, my point is this, as that occurs, the insurance carriers are the last to kind of come online, and they'll start looking at it, and they are now covering things that they didn't used to cover. Um, so 
it's uh, it is moving in the right direction. It's just incredibly slow. Yeah. Well, you know, you talk a lot about consumer-driven healthcare. Maybe you could give us a non-technical explanation of what that means and why it's relevant to my listeners. Right. Um, consumer-driven healthcare is really kind of industry terminology uh, that that means um, applying all the same rules and tricks that you know as consumers of uh, electronics and food and cars and every other marketplace that you're in. Um, you're going to apply all those same rules to the healthcare marketplace. So that means you're going to know the price of something before you go in the door. You're going to know how to... Uh, you're going to know have to know um, how to drive this car called a consumer-driven healthcare plan. Uh, I'll, I'll call it. Uh, I'll put the analogy like this: um, You've been driving a automatic vehicle. You're now being given a stick shift. They're both cars, but you have to learn how to drive one. So you've heard a lot about health savings accounts. And really what that is, is it's a bank account, a pre-tax bank account attached to a high deductible health plan. So there's two parts to it. There's the insurance part and the bank account part. And most people just call them HSA plans. So really what's happening is they take away your office visit copays and they take away your prescription copays. I'm just boiling this down and making it pretty simple. Good, yeah, right. So, so they take away those copays, and when they do that, the premiums drop 20%. So now you're starting to think, okay, well, if I'm paying less money, like by 20% in premium, I have an opportunity to save that money. I have a choice. I can either pay 20% more and have an office visit copay, or I can take the same money and put it in my own bank account. Which would I rather do? That's really kind of what it boils down to. So in many cases, we're talking about a 20% difference could be, you know, $100, $200 a month in, uh, in a health care premium. So, so really, that's what we're talking about is account-based plans that you can either get you know, individually, or you can get um, through your employers. So that's but they take that's, away those office visit copays. It takes the office visit copays, but then you're able. Is it? And it's also you get a tax. Is it tax deferred? I mean, do you get a tax exemption by doing that? Yeah, there's a couple of things. Is that I mentioned? There's two parts to the the health savings account uh, health plan. One is a bank account, and all of the money in the bank account is uh, is tax-free. It's, it's pre-tax money. Um, and as long as you use it on health-related expenses, you never actually pay any taxes on it at all. So the, it can be used for anything that's medically necessary, meaning it could be used on dental care. It could be used on glasses. It could be used on LASIK surgery. It could be used on anybody in your family, whether or not they're covered on your health plan or not. And it's pre-tax cool. dollars. That's 
great. And that's going to work with the new Obamacare and all that? Yeah, the the high deductible health plans and HSAs actually have a pretty good future, believe it or not. Um, There was some doubt about that as we went through the Obamacare uh, legislation and looked at it. And um, I think they're they're not only surviving, I think they're going to come out a little bit stronger. And it goes back to the reason there's going to be a higher demand for them is because they're lower prices and people are starting to wake up and see, wait a minute, um, I can say I can either send the money to an insurance company or I can put it in my own bank account. And a lot of people want to take that control back, and um, and also start taking some control of their their own uh, future, which kind of goes to what you do, Chris, about you know in retirement, right. um, the cost of health care in retirement. You probably know this off the top of your head, but I want to say for a couple retiring at age sixty five. So about a year ago, I saw a statistic that was pretty shocking that you better have about 250000 to cover health-related expenses. Oh, it's crazy. It, it's, it's crazy. Well, I watched my, my folks go through a few million because of not having long-term care. Right. And that's a whole other conversation. But what is it, 85% of everybody that's bankrupt is for medical expenses. Right. So this is just totally huge, and there's... There's so much to it. And, you, you know, as we were talking before we we started the show, you were telling me that, you know, you've been involved in a lot of the, you know, regulatory. I mean, you've been involved in D.C. and a lot of the health care things that go on there. And what do you think is, you know, what do you think is the trend of all this? Or how do, how do you look at all the changing marketplace and the future? Yeah. The future. the future. Where's where are we going with all where of this stuff? Yeah. It's a good question. So um, I kind of like to have take a mental image for your your listeners and and think in terms of a pendulum. I think we talked about this a pendulum, and I call it the healthcare policy pendulum. There's really two ways to tackle. If you would just let's just say we have a broken healthcare system. Let's just assume that for a second. There's parts that work and parts that don't. It's right. it's definitely broken financially. Um, so so there's two different ways to solve it. There are two different competing philosophies, if you will. One of them is the government as the solution, and the the opposite would be the market as a solution. And these two philosophies compete with each other, and they're both in the marketplace at the same time. So. So right now, with the with the with the uh, launching of Obamacare and the exchanges today, we really kind of have that pendulum tilted heavily over towards the government as a kind of a top-down uh, solution to the uninsured problem. But my prediction is that this is this represents about 18% of the the GDP of the United States, it's around $2.6 trillion of cost goes is allocated to health care, of our GDP is allocated to health care. So the government, my, my point is it's, it's impossible for the government to micromanage the market to the degree that they want to. So I do see a lot of problems 
and a lot of inherent contradictions. Uh, the fact that that prices, in many cases, are going to skyrocket for young people, and they'll be less so for for folks that are around in their 60s, say for example. Wow. So. So at the end of the day, you're going to see some some big problems with the government as a solution, and that right. pendulum's going to swing back more towards the marketplace. Right. That's Which fascinating. You know, I've yeah. heard a lot of younger people are just going to totally opt out because now they know what the penalty might be, $100, or I don't know what it is, but this is what one of my guests had told me, that a lot of younger people are going to opt out completely because of the cost and they don't. They're just going yeah. to pay the penalty, then deal with the whole monster that's been created. Yeah, hey. that's a that's yeah. one of one of many examples that that have inherent conflicts in it. It all kind of depends on on uh, your perspective, you know, whether it's good or bad. But at the end of the day, it's pretty hard to to argue that this has actually made healthcare more affordable. It's it's almost impossible to argue that. All they really did, frankly, I've, I've been to D.C. You were mentioning I've been to, to about right. my experience in D.C. I had a, uh, a talk with a senator. This will be revealing. I had a talk with a senator about this very issue, and, and the gist of the conversation was um, I asked him, how is it that you're actually lowering costs? And he goes, well, you know, when the cost goes up, say, from from – 187 to 400 dollars. We're going to come in, and the government's going to come in and take a subsidy and make that number go down to about 180. So the net to the consumer is about 180. So we made the price go down. I said, No, you didn't make the price go down. You just took money from another party and offset an increased price. So that's how they think. Oh, brother. <laughs> Pretty crazy. Hey, this is a good time. Tell everybody how they can get this your great book, Smart Patient, Smart Money, The Simple Guide to Becoming an Educated, Empowered, Money-Saving Champion of the Healthcare You Deserve. This is huge. This healthcare monster is really, you know, people are all like, oh, i got to put my money in stocks or not in stocks or in annuities or this or that. But the healthcare is really a major piece of the financial puzzle. So you've got a great book to share with everybody, and you can tell them how to get it. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's available on Amazon. Smart Patient, Smart Money is available on Amazon. It's available on Barnes & Noble. It's available on iTunes. But the website is smartpatientacademy.com, and that's www.smartpatientacademy.com. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much where you would find it. There's also a ton of other resources at smartpatientacademy.com, which is one of them is a private exchange, which um, allows people searching for health insurance in, in any one of 50 states to actually get a human on the phone and be guided through their options. So, Well, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah. So it's, so it's not a it's not a government where you can actually get a view of everything then, right? It's it's a it's a what we call a private exchange which um which is going to believe it or not, after they get these 
all the kinks ironed out with the public exchanges, it's going to link with the public exchange, and the, and we'll have a private exchange. So you'll have you'll have two markets to choose from by calling one number, basically. Um, our concern about these exchanges, Chris, is that that we're talking about something along the lines of the DMV or, wow. <laughs> you know, the God post forbid. office, and you're going in there to go get health care and get be guided through one of 53 plans mm. by people who are not insurance licensed. So right. we have a solution for that <laughs> called a you private have- exchange. Private exchange. So, do you have a number for that, or? Oh, yeah. It, well, there's a website that is um, it is thehealth-exchange.com. Thehealth-exchange.com, and you can go right to that. And people in California, for example, in Hemet, can go find um, go find what they need. And there's actually a phone number that I'm looking at I um, I'll give it to you in just a second but um, the it's a triple eight phone number for it and well you know what what's interesting about for example the health care exchange or even the government one is just an average person that's not licensed for health care and doesn't know all the bells and whistles is not going to know the right questions to ask about what plan they need or for their family or their kids what you know how are they going to even address the right questions when they go in and do this well it's going to be extremely difficult and and without somebody holding their hand and walking them through this who actually knows what they're talking about you can't do it Um, so it's the phone number is triple eight Eight seven one two five seven six. That's triple eight eight seven one two five seven six. And what you would be calling is the Smart Patient Academy Private Exchange. And again, they can handle problems and uh, and and the whole point of the exercise is to to do exactly what you just said. They're gonna. They're going to talk and interview the consumer, whoever calls, and they're going to try and get a profile of what the consumer needs. And they're going to match the consumer with the plan that best fits their own consumption patterns as well as their own budget. And so that's that's really and why we are, came up with private? this program. Pardon is me? A, are, are those... I don't. I don't even get this, and I do insurances. Is that going to be a private um, exchange? Situation? Yeah, exchange. Yeah, there's there's two competing markets out there. The pub. All you've heard about are public exchanges. There's okay. things called private exchanges that have actually been out in the marketplace. I've had a. We've had a private exchange, if you want to call it that, for ten years. Hmm. It's the government's promoting this. As if it just they just invented the wheel. Hmm. I mean, insurance, for example, has been is a model of okay, yeah. health insurance you know, shopping, but it's all online basically with very little guidance going on. So, what's happening here is that there's private um, 
private plans with multiple carriers that are available that are both exchange qualified and non-exchange qualified or subsidy qualified. So I, we're getting into a little bit into the weeds, but the, the main reason that somebody would want to go to an exchange is to, to, is to cash in a government subsidy and offset the price, right? Otherwise, there's no point in going to like the DMV or going to, um, you know, or going to uh, some government entity. If you've got something on the outside and a private sector solution, you're going to the service is going to be way superior, as well as the 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 services available to the consumer. So are the there, there, are the prices actually going to be more affordable than the the government? Well, the the prices there's going to be the prices that match what the government uh, prices are, uh-huh. a and there's going to be more selection. So there's going to be everything available. It's just like um, I'm trying to think of a really good analogy, but basically you're going to have the government selection, which are all these metal plans. Plus, you're going to have more expensive, and you're going to have less expensive. It's just that those government metal plans are the government's way of homogenizing the health insurance products, and and those are the only products that can you can uh, that are eligible for a subsidy. If you go outside of those metal plans, you don't you can't cash in a government subsidy. But the reality is a lot of people won't qualify for these government subsidies anyway. What what do you mean by how is that? Well, let's say you're an employer. I'm sorry. Let's say you're an employee and you're out in you're in your neck of the woods out in California. You make $60,000 a year and you've it's you and your wife. The um your employer is offering a health plan to you, and it's considered affordable, and it also qualifies. Um, the, these health plans at work have to now fit a criteria of quality. Okay, so if your employer gives you a health plan that is of the right quality and it's affordable, meaning it's less than nine point five percent of your your income, then you can't get a subsidy. You're not eligible to go get a subsidy out on any exchange. Okay. When you when you mean eligible for a subsidy, what is to, maybe you could explain to everybody okay. what subsidy means to them. So I'll back up a step. Okay. So all right. So when you the government, as I was telling you before, basically the the whole thought about making health cares the way Washington works is that they think that that taking taxpayer money and offsetting the price is is a subsidy, right? So they're they're basically giving a tax credit that is immediately applied to the premium that you're going to pay. So I can give you a specific example. Um, in the state of Texas, you would have a uh, a cost of 200 if you're a 27 year old in the state of Texas 
you would have a cost of about $205 for what they call a silver plan if you had no subsidy. The government comes in and offsets the price if you don't get insurance through work and you don't make a certain amount of money, then you qualify for a subsidy and that price goes down to about 145. So so that's really the the whole game in these exchanges is about cashing in a government subsidy. Other than that, there's really not much reason to go to the the exchanges when you have all the other private exchanges out there and the plans in the private exchanges are identical at least or better than the ones in the public exchanges. Does that help? Yeah, it's getting a little clearer. <laughs> it, I mean, it, I can imagine what my listeners must be. I mean, they don't, this is a lot of information for the average person to, to wrap around. So, um, Yeah, it is. In other, in other words, if, they, if they're not making enough money, the government is going to subsidize that, and then they're going to pay a lower premium. But the premium, the lowest is $145 a month? Well, the lowest in the example I just gave you. Oh. Okay, so there's there's no way to tell actually today exactly what that premium will be because it varies it varies by by every single person in every situation. It varies by income, it varies by zip code, it varies by um right. Right. a million different factors. So, at the end of the day, you you know, you may qualify if your income put it this way if your income is above the medicaid level um or 100 between 100% and 400% of the federal poverty level you might qualify for a a subsidy if if you're under that amount you would go into medicaid if you're anywhere over 400% of the federal poverty level, you qualify for no government assistance at all. Okay, it's, so so okay, so there, there's still a Medicaid and there's still the thing that if people don't have money, the state is going to still pay for their health care. Yeah. Let Medicaid me. does not go away. It actually expanded. But it got it, bigger. Okay, but they are taking food stamps away or something. Yeah, the food stamp issue in California specifically, I, I, I would defer to you. I'm, I'm not an expert in that part of it, but yeah. So, and then the people that are, and then what is the threshold for people that are making money to get covered, or the government helps them? Well, the federal poverty level is um, approximately for an individual. The the federal poverty level. Uh, and I'm giving you not the exact number, but I'll tell you it's around $11,500 for an individual and um, a, around 24000 it's 235 actually, for a family. Okay, That's really the federal poverty level. So if you're a family of four making, say, 24000 or below, then you're in the category of qualifying for Medicaid, and you will pay zero. If you're anything above those numbers, then you're in the category of um, 
and up to 400% above the numbers I just gave you, uh, you might be eligible to get a government subsidy. I apologize for the for the uh, the complexity of this, but it's 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 a reflection of how of the law, really. Exactly, it's not your fault. I mean, you know, you, it's it's definitely something you're talking about. You didn't create, but we do it, have to understand it. You know, so. at the end of the day. And you're tr- you're struggling as most people would be. Your listeners are struggling and scratching their heads and going, "So what do I do?" Right. And and at the end of the day, I would say you really need to to call a phone number and you need help navigating through the system. It's right. it's difficult to know how to do this, and you're not going to learn it on the fly. So you really need help go navigating through that system. And so that's primarily why we created the the Smart Patient Academy, the private exchange, which which will enable people to access the public exchange as well. And um and that's why we wrote the book and right. so yeah. So that okay, we're we've just got a little bit of time left. So and okay. you have so much value to share with people. Next time we'll we'll really maybe we can focus more on the Obamacare and sure. all that, because there's a lot of different ways we can talk things to talk about. But maybe in these final minutes, you could just give us really something that's like the cherry on top that really that you'd like to share with everybody. It's really important for them. Well, I guess I would say, you know, we've laid out a situation, Chris, where people are intimidated. Um, they're confused. They tend to be have have lost confidence. There's a little bit of fear going on. Maybe some paralysis, if you will, of action. And what I'm telling you is that it's it, you can take control of your healthcare situation. You can make the system work for you. You can actually conquer the confusion, the fear, and the intimidation. And you don't need to wait for a healthcare crisis for it to begin, like I did. Right. Um, so it's really the first step is trying to just wake up, listen to a, a conversation like you're hosting today, uh, pick up some books, get some information about how to become a smart patient. How do I how do I navigate through the system? And that's really pretty much what I would what I would leave with your listeners is. Is you know, that's it. That's it right there. Is, is, and that's the same thing that I've done with my book, Ready for Pre-Retirement, is to get people to learn about these things, that to get proactive, to take back control of their money and their health and, and understand, like, there's places they can put their money and never lose a dollar and make tax-free money and all kinds of different that are actually hidden from the average people. That The only way that everyone will get it is to reach out, get the book, read it, learn about it. So then you're not going to be a victim of circumstance. Exactly. Exactly, Chris. I I, I think there's a, there's a lot to talk about, and you and I overlap in many, many areas. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and visit with your your listeners. Jim, it's really been nice. I feel very comfortable with you, and I think we've got a, a lot to share. So we're definitely going to have you back again and Thank you. talk about Obamacare and health care and show people how they can 
be proactive and take control. And again, everybody reach out and get a copy of Smart Patient, Smart Money from the smartpatientacademy.com. And if you have questions, you can reach out to Jim at jim at smartpatientacademy.com. Again, my name is Chris Miller, and I'm the host of the show Ready, Set, Retire, and the number one best-selling author of Ready for Pre-Retirement, Three Secrets for Safe Money and a Fabulous Future. So again, Jim, thanks so much for being on our show. We'll look forward to our next one. Thank you very much, Chris. I really appreciate it. All right. Have a great day. All right. You take care. All right. Bye-bye. Found out you can't take the curve at 85 My whole life flashed before my eyes I braced myself to leave this world behind As a million questions raced across my mind Did I live? Did I love? Did I matter to someone? Did I give everything I had to give? Did I save any souls? Was I worried about my own? Was I haunted by the things I never did? Did I embrace each day with faith, hope, and laughter? Did I matter? From that moment I became a brand new me With the golden ticket to a better destiny And I told my heart there'll never come a day When I'd have to search inside of me and say Did I live? Did I love? Did I matter to someone? Did I give everything I had to give? Did I save any souls? Was I worried about my own? Was I haunted by the things I never did? Did I embrace each day with faith, hope, and laughter? Did I matter? can be a voice of inspiration and my story finds you well cause when the curtain falls there ain't no second chances and you don't want to ask yourself did I live did I love did I matter to someone did I give everything I had to give did I save any souls? Was I worried about my own? Was I haunted by the things I never did? Did I embrace each day with faith, hope, and laughter? Did I matter? Did I matter? Did I matter?